Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Once again, welcome. We're so glad that every single one of you is here this morning. And I'd like to start uh, just by letting you know, if you're a visitor, or even if you're someone who's been a Christian a long time, but for whatever reason, you're a little bit scared this morning. I want to I I calm you down just a little bit. I want to welcome you. I want you to know that we're not here to judge you. We're not here to yell at you. We're not here to scream at you. We're not here to uh, make you feel dirtier than we are. That's not what we're about. You're going to be welcome here just as you are, because that's how God does it. But I also want to give every single one of you a heads up. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've been here at this church, whatever, I want you to know that God is very, very, very serious about his moral boundaries. He accepts us as we are on day one, but he expects us to change every day after that. He's patient and he's loving and he's merciful, but he's got way bigger plans than just forgiving us over and over and over again. That was never what he had in mind. And here's what God knows, is that things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do them. Let me say that one more time. I want to make sure that sticks. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do them. And who designed us? That was an easy one. Let's try that one more time. Who designed us? Who knows how things work best for us? Yes, now we're getting somewhere. If I were to open up the hood of a car, um, I would be pretty lost. Some of you guys are awesome mechanics, and I love that. I, I know very little. But let's pretend for a second that you know even less than me. And you open it up, and you start messing around in there. And somebody who knows a little bit about it is watching you. And maybe somebody gave you this car, which I don't think this would ever happen. But you'd give somebody a car, and you know they know nothing how to use it. But you give them some other stuff, some gas and some oil and stuff to put in it. And you're, you, you give them all they need, but you know they have nothing to do They have no idea how this works, all right? Just imagine, it's a crazy thing. But you see this person, and they're starting to, like, mess around, touch things they shouldn't be touching, and they've got the gas can in their hand. You see them start to unscrew the radiator. (laughs) Isn't there going to be a moment where you go, wait, 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 hold on. And that person would kind of maybe get their feelings hurt. Hey, who are you to judge me? Who are you to tell me that I can't pour something in a hole? But that's not judgment, is it? That's, not, that, that's actually love. That's concern. Because here's what we know about cars. The point is not, hey, we really should pour this in this hole. The point is so you can drive around. That's how they were designed. Are you, are you following me on this? And those of you who are parents, a very similar thing. I love this picture. I found this earlier this week. Uh, these are all people that are now in the hill, but this was back when they were in glow. You might recognize a couple of pictures couple of people in that one. I love that. Anyway, here we go. Those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. We have these huge dreams for our, for our children. We, we can't wait to teach them how to do certain things. We can't wait to help them experience certain things. But along the way, how many know that you also have to say no to a bunch of things you never expected you'd have to say no to? Like, for example, don't lick that. And how many know that the word that, in this case, represents a lot of things you would never imagine any human being ever wanting to lick? You know what I'm saying? 
Don't lock, don't, don't lick the dog. Don't lick my shoes. Yeah, do, do you understand? How many, how many know exactly what I'm talking about? That is God's perspective on moral boundaries. That's, that's the kind of thing. He's got these way bigger plans than we even imagine sometimes. And, and all, we get stuck on, well, why can't I lick the dog? And it shuts everything down. So this time, as we walk through moral boundaries this year, what we're, not, we're not focusing hardly at all on the things you're not supposed to do. There are some things he doesn't want you to, supposed to do. Let me say it again. There are some things he doesn't want you to do. But what he's really interested in is the stuff that he does want you to do. And all of those no's are about the yeses that he has planned. So that's where we're focusing this morning. We're looking at a thing called What God Wants. This is the name of this series. And um, here, here's the first thing we looked at last week. God always knows better than we do. That we, that's truth. If we're going to really follow him, we've got to base anything else we believe. It's got to be measured against God and his word. Second thing we're going straight into it this morning is the idea of justice. And when you hear that word justice, I think most of us, the first things we think of is more like vengeance or revenge. Someone does something and we go, justice is going to happen now. Right? But in the scriptures, it's so much deeper than that. Justice is more about pruning than punishing. I'd like you to say that out loud. That's kind of a weird, but I'll explain it in a second. Let's say it together. Justice is more about pruning than punishing. Punishing is all about you did something wrong. Now I'm going to do something painful to make you pay for what you did wrong. There's an element of that in justice. If there's no incentive to not do bad things, if there's no punishment for when people actually do break the rules, there can't really be justice as God imagined it. But that's not the real point. The real point is he's trying to grow something. He's trying to produce something. And we see that idea in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And he goes on, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked about this last week for just a few moments. I just want to remind you. It's not a compliment that Jesus says we're the branches in this thing. The branches of a grapevine are pretty useless unless they're attached to a grapevine. And that's the whole point. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Let's be honest, does that sound just a little bit harsh? You're my, you're my disciples if you do the stuff that I tell you. If you produce much fruit, I'm going to prune you so you produce even more. If you don't, you're out of here. Here's the thing, we're all really good at understanding the concept of justice, 
when we feel like we have been treated unjustly. Even if it's God. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? If we feel like God is being unfair, oh, we get it. But if we do something and God's upset about it, it's like, hey, 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 what about that justice thing? What about the fairness? What about the, wait, 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 even better, grace, mercy, right? We get it when it's us. And sometimes we get so distracted, not only by all the no's and why does God say no, but we actually just get mad at him. And his people of Israel did that over and over. They'd go to God, they'd be completely completely running away from him with every part of their life, intentionally following idols, doing just despicable stuff, and then they'd realize he wasn't blessing them anymore and they'd get mad. And they'd go, hey, aren't you supposed to be our God? Aren't you like the greatest God, the best God? Aren't you supposed to be taking care of us? Justice here, buddy. One of those cases is Micah chapter 6. I'm going to start with the passage Micah 6 verses 1 to 7. I'm not going to read all of that. That and many more passages we just don't have time this morning are in the sermon guide. And it's also a Bible study. There's so many scriptures in here. If you just take that and reread this later, God will tell you way more than I could ever tell you. And here we go. Micah 6, beginning with verse 1. God actually sets up this really crazy little scenario where he's through the prophet Micah. He's kind of, he says, okay, you, you serious about this? Let's go to court. Let's pretend we're in court. Here's what he says. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. There's layers and layers here. I don't have time to go into this, but I got to tell you at least these two things. Why would he call mountains and hills as the witnesses? Here's why. On God's side, he's saying, I made those mountains and hills just like I made you. Who are you to question me in the first place? On the other side, when they worshipped idols, every single time they would build these, these uh, shrines and altars and all kinds of stuff on top of mountains and hills. That's where they worshipped the idols. They called them the high places. So God's saying, okay, you want to you do this? Here we go. Call into the stand the mountains and the hills. <sighs> exactly. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. I'm going to skip a little bit. They start coming around, as most of us do. Once we start thinking truth again, we start being open to seeing things from God's perspective again, which is the ultimate measure of truth. And now, here's what they start saying. Instead of, hey, God, you're messing up, here's what they say. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow down before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? God says, no. That's one of the things that was making him so mad is they were actually sacrificing their children to their idols and to these selfish lives that they were living. No, he says. I'd like you to read Micah 6, verse 8 out loud with me. Hopefully this is very familiar to everyone and especially those who were here last week. But let's read the whole thing this time. And I want you to say no the way God kind of says it in this passage. Ready? They're saying, Are you, should we bring this? Should we bring this? Should we bring this? And God says with me, no, O people. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. One more time. Let's do it together. Here we go. No, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walking humbly with your God means just realizing that he is the one in control. Realizing that if ever there's going to be somebody wrong in a situation, no matter what it feels or looks like to you at that moment, it's going to be you, not God. To walk humbly with God means to say, hey, you make the rules, not me, even when I don't like it, even when I don't feel like it. To love mercy is to realize that God gives us chances over and over, way more than we ever deserve, knowing that if we have a few more chances, we might eventually get the important stuff done. And eventually we get enough mercy shown to us that it starts to even become a joy to show mercy to other people. And we start to actually enjoy it and we go, ah, you get a pass on this one because I think you're going to get it right next time. You start to enjoy it. You start to see it from God's perspective. And to do what is right. Some translations translate that do what is right. Some say do what is just. Some say practice justice. Some say do justly, do justice, act justly. There's a lot of different ways. But that's the idea of justice. And here's what justice is. And I like the way Benjamin Disraeli says it. Just five words. Say it with me out loud. Justice is truth in action. One more time. Justice is truth in action. Underneath anything else, whether it's vengeance or whether it's grace or whether it's fairness or all the other things that justice can describe, underneath it all, God's idea of justice is what he says is true, you make it tangible. You act on it. You don't just believe it. You don't just say it. You do it. You make it happen. The things that he had planned all along, you make it happen. You produce fruit, if you will. Last week we looked at the story where Jesus was asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And he came back with what we always have up here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He added the love your neighbor as yourself because he knows that that's how God always wants us to express our love for him. I like the, re I like the, the reply that Mark's account has. The teacher of the religious law talks back to Jesus. And this is so classic human arrogance. So classic like the way we judge God. It's just so ridiculous. Jesus tells him this big revelation. He asks for one thing. Jesus gives him two. And it's one of these keyhole moments that just lets the whole Bible start making more sense. And listen to this guy's reply. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken truth. By saying that there's only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important. Now listen what he adds. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Basically he's trying to kiss up to Jesus a little bit and he's going, yeah, I read Micah 6.8 as well. But I'm telling you, our wisdom never compares to God. It never can. You, you, can, you can try your best. You, you can do that. He wants you to get wiser. He wants you to get wiser. But the only thing that really works is to actually do what he says, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. 
And the more we do that, the more good stuff actually happens. The more we try to impress him with what we know, the more we try to not be as humble, the, the less anything good gets done. This is, this is what I believe Mahatma Gandhi meant when he said, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. I don't think he's saying that God's idea of justice, that, you know, somebody puts out your eye out, that let's be fair and let's take their eye. God's, what he's saying is God's vision was not that we just all end up taking each other's eyes and teeth out. That was not what he had in mind. He was trying to say, don't hurt anybody else's eyes. I want you to be able to see clearly. I want you to be able to live your life to the full. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. Let's read that one out loud together. I really like this one. True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. It's not just when we aren't stressed out or we're not freaking out or we're not doing bad things. It's when we're actually doing God's will. This is why in the prophet Jeremiah, and thank you, Andrew, for reading from that wonderful book this morning at Communion. Prophet Jeremiah, here's, and I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you just a few of the ones that are in this guide. And the ones in the guide are just a tiny taste of how consistently God has this same perspective of justice throughout the scriptures. But listen as God, I read all these different little short passages together all at once. Just listen how consistent this is. Read along with me. Uh, you can read aloud, out loud if you want, but we're going to go pretty quick. Just let the Spirit speak to your heart. Let, let, see if you see some patterns in here, some things that are consistent. This is what God calls justice. God says, I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Chapter 22, this is what the Lord says, be fair-minded and just, do what is right, help those who have been robbed, rescue them from their oppressors, quit your evil deeds, do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows, stop murdering the innocent. You seen a pattern yet? Probably seeing several, here's one, say it out loud with me, just four words this time, justice helps the helpless. This is what Jesus meant when he said the least of these. He wasn't talking about that his way of looking at them. He wouldn't say these are people I consider less valuable than other people. He considers all of us of, of equal worth. He's saying there are people that are considered less valuable by other people, people that are kind of invisible to the world at large, people who are helpless, people who cannot help themselves. They seem less. Guess what? God actually cares about them if he cares about anybody a little bit more, it's them. Amen. Justice helps the helpless. God expects his people, you're going to see this in here, just be watching for it. He expects us to break the chains that bind people. He's all about helping us to see and actually help the people who are invisible, the people who are alone, the people who are abused, the people who have been trapped, the people who are unable to help themselves, people who are innocent. At the heart of everything God does about justice is he expects us to actually do something in the world to actually help those people. Here's a couple more of these. Again, this is just a taste. 
but we only have so much time this morning. Zechariah 7.10. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And do not scheme against each other. James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Isaiah chapter 58. By the way, I recommend if you want to really know God's heart of justice, just read that whole chapter like over and over and over again. It's a great little encapsulated little version of it. Here's just a few tastes from it this morning. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. You're starting to see some patterns here? They're pretty clear. Super consistent. Justice in the world. You, you, you very seldom, very seldom, it is in the Bible, it's there. I'm not skipping over it, it's there. But you very seldom see, make sure that wrong gets punished. When God's talking about justice, what you see almost always is the same list. Help the helpless. Make a difference. Break the chains. Do whatever it takes to set people free so they can live the way I designed them to live. So they can do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do it and live their best possible life on this earth and then eventually go to heaven to be with me. Dr. Martin Luther King, again, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice anywhere. And if you missed it in some of those verses, I love how he says, for example, um, lighten the load of the people who work for you. I think one of the things that we sometimes get distracted by is just the enormity of injustice in the world. You, you may or may not know this, but there are more people in slavery today than there's ever been in the history of the world. It doesn't look like it looked before the Civil War in America, so we can sometimes turn a blind eye. But these are people who are forced to do terrible things all day long, every day, and they have no choice about it. And that's an enormous problem that I think we should get a lot more into helping with. But a lot of times we go, oh, I can't really do that. Guess what? If you've got an employee, if you've got a friend, if you've got a brother or sister or a child or a spouse or anybody else that you know well and you can lighten their load, you're doing justice in the world. Did you hear me on that? Whatever little circle you're in right now, God probably does want to widen it. And he wants your little circle of influence and my little circle of influence to grow and intersect and make a bigger difference than we've ever made before. Of course he wants it to be a big worldwide thing. That's clear in the scripture too. But it starts with you where you are right now. You just be kind to the person sitting next to you. Pray with somebody. It can start. So simple, but it starts with action and it starts where we are right now. Jesus um, had some really great superpowers, didn't he? I, I wish that we had all of those. I wish that becoming a Christian meant that now you can do everything Jesus could do. We can just heal people, you're healed. I wish that we could go, hey, let's go walk on water. That's a Christian party. Wouldn't that be fun? It'd be really neat if we could do a lot of those cool things. Hey, we need food. What you got? Sandwich. Lots of sandwiches. 
That would be really fun if we could do that all the time. But there's one superpower that he had that he actually longs to give every single one of you. And that's the ability to see invisible people. Jesus was really good at it. Supernaturally good at it. And he wants you to be good at it too. Supernaturally good at it. He wants to help you do it. Jesus wants you to not just raise awareness about people who are oppressed. He wants you to actually notice them and help them. In Jesus' day, children were invisible. Women were invisible. People with diseases like leprosy were invisible. People who did specific sins got written off as sinners and they became invisible. It just didn't count. Literally like in this story where Jesus made all that food and fed 5,000 people, they only counted the men. Remember that? That's because they literally didn't count to them. They just did not. They're like, oh, and there were women and children there too. But Jesus talked to children and talked to women and talked to lepers and sinners and victims of prejudice and he touched them and he healed them and he set them free and he changed their life and he cast them as the heroes of the stories that he made up and just blew everybody's minds. And sometimes when they did something especially good, he said things like, every place the gospel is ever going to be preached, your story will be told. What you did today will be told. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because that came true. This is how Jesus treated invisible people. This is how Jesus treated people who were oppressed. And that's what he wants from us. Is this tracking? Are you guys getting this? It's simple, but it's so... We're going to have to do something on the other side of this today. This heads up. You can't listen to this and, and walk away and just not do anything. One of the stories in the Bible that just makes me really mad every time I read it is the story of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. And I understand where Sarah and Abraham were coming from in this part of the story. I get it. I've got some compassion. I've got some mercy for them. Because God had made them a promise. And then it literally was decades and decades before he kept it. And I think they felt unseen. Uh, They almost justifiably felt Like God was not being just to them. But how many know there's a difference between justified and just? How many know there's a difference between what's right and what's legal? It's a big difference sometimes. The closer we can get those, the better. But it's not the same thing. But here's the thing. In in this moment, they're like, you know, we're supposed to have this child and actually several children. There's supposed to be this whole nation. We haven't even had one yet. I I get it. But in in that day, here was the thing. I'm sure you've heard this story, but it just infuriates me. It's so gross. But in that day, it was just common practice. If you had enough money, enough wealth that you could own someone else, then that was fine. And if you were a woman and you owned a slave, you were kind of almost expected to make your slave sleep with your husband. And then whatever children were produced became like your children. They counted as you. Who's really invisible in this situation? The slave. Hagar in this story. And these are good people. These are the people that we look up to. This is the father Abraham, you know, as many sons, right hand, left hand. This is, these are the guys. And look at how they were able to just completely not see the people that were literally living with them in their home that they were treating 
so poorly. Well, God was merciful. He kept his promise to them. They finally had Isaac, and they became even worse to Hagar and Ishmael, and then eventually set them away. That story spreads out over a bunch of stuff. If you just want to read the main heart of it, it's Genesis chapter 16. It's one of the many ones in this that I hope you go back and read later. But here's what happens. As they run away, they almost die. As they run away, they almost die out in the desert. And God sees them and he rescues them and he helps them start their life over. Just, just Hagar and her son Ishmael. And from that moment on, she calls God a really cool Hebrew name, El Roy, which means the God who sees. I told you we'd have to do something, and I'm serious about it. There's two things here at the end. I need you to say them out loud with me this morning. I need you to pray and ask God exactly what he wants you to do about both of those things. First one, say it together. Justice requires relationships and commitment. God doesn't just want you to throw money at people. It's going to cost you money. If you want to start practicing justice in the world, you need to be prepared to give up that Five bucks or ten bucks you were going to spend on coffee sometimes and give it to someone who has no food at all. You've got to be prepared for God to move you that way. But that's not really justice. God's idea of justice is seeing the invisible people and actually becoming part of their lives somehow. And not all of us can do all of them. But you can do somebody and I can reach somebody else. Are you with me in this? And a long-term thing. Something you actually notice them as people is what actually is going to break those chains. Biblical justice means cultivated connections and sacrifice and patience and time. It's high cost. It includes mercy and forgiveness, even when we don't feel like it. I like how you kept saying that this morning. We didn't plan that, but I love that. Mercy and forgiveness is not about how you feel. It's about the choices you make. But eventually all of this, it results that we get united and we get protected and we get empowered and we bring people into that experience with us. Here's the second thing. Justice takes teamwork and it creates real change. I'd like you to say this out loud with me as well. Justice takes teamwork and creates real change. Biblical justice, here's what it's going to look like on the other side of us actually doing it. Broken hearts get healed. Broken lives get healed. Broken homes get healed. God's people start working together. And in, as they work together, they experience more unity and more joy and more fulfillment than they ever could have just trying to make themselves happy. Great stuff happens. But it takes teamwork and it creates real change. I want to just highlight two of the things that happen here at Morrison Hill right now, this morning. These are just to give you ideas. But again, I think God is going to call each one of us to do something very sure the same databases and the same things and where we communicate through this ministry we all communicate with each other so instead of all of us having a little food pantry and a little clothes closet and a little this and a little this a few churches have a clothes closet and we send all the clothes to them and a few places like hands of mercy downtown they have wonderful food pantries so we send all the food down there we just have some emergency stuff around here when, when, when we help someone pay a light bill or things like that, we pay this amount and First Baptist pays first amount and Bethel Presbyterian pays this amount and go around the church, go around the community. That's what I, we all team up. And we're able now to do stuff that we couldn't do before. It's shutting down a lot of the fraud and a lot of the cheaters that would manipulate the system because God's people are working together. 
Roan County Cooperative Ministries also has some really great stuff happening and also in the works to actually train people how to get out of poverty, how to change the way they live. And Joni McKinney and several of the others that help, especially Joni though, week after week after week when people come for help, they always treat them as people. They always pray with them. They always try their best to help them. They always give them hope and real help, not just, oh, here's a check. Another awesome one is Family Promise. And a bunch of you guys are already involved in that. But we're housing some people who don't have anywhere to be housed at this moment. We're literally doing what Jesus told us to do, giving shelter to those who need shelter. We're using our building to do that. And we're feeding them. And we're just hanging out with them and being with them. It requires training. It requires going through a process. So we do this in the most respectful and, 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 and loving possible way. Because these are people. These are people that matter. These are people with lives. And we're trying to partner with them and help them move on to other places. If you're interested in help, they actually really need some help. You should talk. There's a little table right out there. Talk to Sandy Gabbard and any of the others who are going to be at that table today and see how you could be part of this. But here's the thing. Justice at the heart of it means you act on what God tells you to do. You make his will happen in this world. Fruit is produced because of what you do. And it's going to be a little different for all of us, but I guarantee you God's telling each of you to do something this morning. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in response to what God is telling you to do? That's what you've got to decide this morning. It may mean giving your life to him for the first time, joining our church, or a bunch of things we talk about. It may be something very, very specific. God is calling maybe some of you to be a, a missionary in another place or to, to join Family Promise or Roan County Cooperative Ministries or some other specific ministry. I don't know what it might be, but I, I beg you, I plead with you to respond to the voice of God in your heart this morning. And as we stand and as we sing, would you do, would you do, would you act on what he's telling you to do this morning? Welcome to the Sunday Sermons podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening.